The Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity, helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times, your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning into our show today. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana. Do thank you for those of you that might be listening live via the Internet at www.710keel.com or listening via the Keel application on their Apple and Android devices. In just a few minutes, we're going to hear about a new book to assist young kids and your grandkids in dealing with the crisis situations that are occurring throughout the world today. So stay to this show for some very beneficial information for you and your loved ones. Be sure to pick up the current issue of the Best of Times in one of our 270 distribution locations. There are not as many. Uh, this is now the, the 16th of the month. I will tell you uh, very few issues are remaining at our 270 distribution locations. I cannot tell you which ones have them or do not have them. But uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find a printed issue if you want. But remember, you can always find a copy on our popular website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com. In addition, you can view, of course, the current as well as many past issues for the past four years, as well as the current 2020 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, you can listen to previously broadcast radio shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour, as well as to listen to them via the Apple podcast of the Best of Times Radio Show. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Abears Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram, a Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Abers Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my radio show today is a friend. His name is Burton Lane. He's a storyteller, an author, and also a publisher of a senior publication. And um, welcome, Bert, to join us here on the Best of Times Radio Show. Gary, I always enjoy being able to take time to visit with you. Uh, we've been we've been friends for many years, and uh, he publishes the Senior Reporter in Duluth, Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah, in Duluth. And uh, it's uh, it's going to be getting colder there, right? It's, we've had our first snowfall, Bert. You got I think our listeners will be shocked about this. You get snow, you get lots of snow in your area. And, uh, uh, we do, and matter of fact, I was out cross country skiing this morning. Whoa. Um, yeah, we, we've had a, a real nice snow cover this year, so I've been doing a lot of skiing. I hadn't done it for a few years, and it's just really enjoyable. Well, we we, sh- we had four inches. I uh, can't remember what day it was, Ruben. We had four inches, and that shut down the whole entire city, and um, it stuck a little bit. Luckily, it didn't stick too much on the roadways, but uh, people had time to hurry up and build a snowman before the next day when it got 65 degrees and everything started melting. <laughs> so that's but kids and grandkids, and my mine uh, especially, loved it, and uh, it was beautiful. Uh, Tina and I watched it from our backyard, and but it was. Uh, we like it for a while. We we're glad it goes away and doesn't stay around. I, I know. 
And I think Bert knows this. I had a chance to visit Duluth uh, many, many years ago when I was in the consulting business, and they treated me like royalty. I visited a few hospitals there for a whole week. But, of course, when I when they invited me to come up, it was blizzard season. It was the most snow I've ever seen in my entire life after I landed. And uh, it was it was totally uh, a different scenario. I've never experienced that much snow. But they it's like normal up there to you all, right? It is normal. We've uh, we we haven't had super cold temperatures this year, but it's uh, it's been a good year. So, as I told our listeners, you are definitely a storyteller, author, and of course a publisher. But uh, you're recently published, uh, and you, you you like writing stories and books about your form. So, tell us a little bit about your form. Yeah, I live on a hundred-year-old family farm, and you know it's only forty acres, so it's not very large. But my grandfather settled here uh, when he came here from Finland over a hundred years ago, and my dad lived pretty much his whole life here, and I've never moved. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, I, we have lots of interesting stories, but I've also done a lot of photography here over the years, so I, I have a lot of photographs to. Uh, be able to pull from for the writing that I do. But why did why and did he end what, up in Finland? What was the reason? I mean, he had many choices to 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 come uh, to America and settle. And why why did he why did he pick uh, Duluth and why did he pick Minnesota? You know, it's that's kind of interesting. A, a lot of uh, people from Finland did move here for, from Scandinavia moved to this area, and part of it is because the light of the land is very similar. Um, the climate is actually a little colder, but um, but the, the landscape is very similar. So they had probably uh, similar farming skills when they came here, but uh, there's also a lot of timber industry, a lot of forest, and uh, mining was really uh, an important part of the economy at that time. So there were lots of jobs. So this was back in the early 1900s? Yes, early 1900s. And and one interesting thing about this farm is that uh, my grandfather built it up originally, and there was a wildfire that came through and burned the entire area, including the, the city near here, in 1918. So the farm was burned down in 1918, and then they had to rebuild it again. And what protects you now from any possibility of that? Is there are there firewalls or there precautions? Oh, there's a lot of it is communication. You know, in those times, um, it, it it was a very dry, tender time in the fall, and uh, the the fires actually were started by railroads. Hmm. And, um, and once they started, the wildfire just took off, but. Uh, they didn't have the type of fire protection at that time that we have now with uh, fire departments and DNR and and those types of organizations that can help out. So we're in a in a near rural area, which a lot of farming in Louisiana and East Texas and Arkansas. So what do you farm on your on your particular farm? Over the years, there was a, a quite a variety of things that were farmed, but. Um, you know, I, it's it's actually kind of amazing that my grandfather and my dad were actually able to make a living off of 40 acres. 
during much of their time period, and as I said, it was sustainable. Um, they always had cattle. My dad uh, ran it as an egg farm for uh, in the 1940s and 50s and actually had a door-to-door egg route, uh, just like a milk route, and um, went to the nearby cities and, and uh, they would deliver eggs. But uh, what we've done is uh, my, my wife and I, when we got married, we decided we still wanted to do something here. But my wife grew up on a dairy farm, and she didn't really want to get into cattle. So uh, <laughs> we eventually decided to have sheep. Oh, okay, yes. And, uh, and how many years have you been doing that? Well, we started 30 years ago, and um, it, it it's kind of interesting. I, I started, we, we would go for walks in the evening on the, near here, and as we would be walking down the road, we saw a couple of sheep farms where the sheep were out in the field, and it, it always seemed so comforting and calming to watch the sheep. And um, when we bought the farm, I, we built a deck out in the front of the house, and we can see a hillside from that deck. And I always thought it would be nice to see sheep up on that hill. And eventually we just decided, okay, well, let's try doing that. So, um, you know, it's, <laughs> we, we actually did it for aesthetic reasons to begin with, but there was a whole lot of work we had to learn after we finally got them. <laughs> well, okay. So um, you, you couldn't Google on how to how to take care of sheep at that point in time, but many years ago, right? No, no internet to help out with that. But but we did have neighbors, and we had other farmers in the region that so, were raising animals, and farmers are willing to help each other out. Well, that's important. You get the networking and the, the friends, and uh, even though you're friendly competitors, maybe in a way, but you definitely. Uh, 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 enjoy the, the same things and share the values, just like just like our, our our publishers of senior papers. We share information, though we might be might be competitive. Most of us are not, but uh, in a competitive markets. So how I don't I, Gary has never lived on a farm. Uh, Gary does not know too much about farms. I've visited a bunch. Don't ask a lot of questions when I go visit these. So how large is your? Is it called a herd? Or what's a what's a grouping of sheep? How large? Well, it's called a flock. Of, a, yeah, a flock of sheep. A flock of and, sheep. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and we've never been really large. I, the most that we've had is about fifty in the summer. Wow, to me that uh, seems a lot. A right? lot. Whoa. Well, yeah, it's it's not a huge flock, but um, you know, now I'm older. I'm sixty six, and I we've really scaled back. So the most that we have now in the summer is going to be somewhere from twenty to twenty five. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're gonna. So you branched off when you're on the farm, and you began writing based upon your farm. So, why, how did you decide to write these stories? It's interesting. I, the stories basically um, focus on the guard dog or the livestock shepherd dog that we have that works with the sheep, and. When we would have friends or visitors come over to the farm, we'd inevitably end up standing by the fence and looking out at the sheep, and people seemed to be fascinated with this dog. <laughs> and they would just keep asking questions about how the dog works with the sheep and uh, just how all of that works. 
And I would keep telling all of these stories. And finally, I decided, you know, maybe I should start writing some of these down. That's the way it happens. Yes, sometimes. So, Aria, right? Is Aria? Aria is the name of the dog? Yeah, the name of the dog is Aria. A-R-Y-A. Aria, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Aria. And the breed of, and the breed of dog is Marama. It's spelled M-A-R-R-E-M-A. And um, it's How old is the dog? Breed. How old is her? Well, well, the dogs live to be about 10, 10 to 12 years old. We've had four of them now. Oh. And uh, over 30 years, we've had four different dogs, and, and it's always been the same breed, and they always work with the sheep the same way. So so the dog knows how to do his uh, raising, training, how to take care of the sheep? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's... There's there's no way that I could ever train one of these dogs. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Why, Bert? They're virtually they're virtually untrainable. But the the thing is is that they kind of train us. Oh. Uh, these these dogs just have an instinct of how to work with the sheep, and we will bring them in. Uh, we we brought a couple of them in as puppies. A couple of them in we brought in as older ones, and. Um, the dogs always live with the sheep. When we bring one in as a puppy, the puppy grows up with the sheep, and as they grow up with the sheep, the instinct just starts kicking in. And when they're older, they just know what to do to be able to protect the sheep. Wow. So it's an instinctive, but it's probably passed down from this type of breed. You've said this breed generally does? Uh, becomes uh, sheep dogs or protecting dogs. Yes, it's all instinct. And this particular breed, you seldom see one of these dogs domesticated or somebody trying to do that because um, of of the way that they work with animals. And um, when so, you know, I can give you an idea of of how they work with them. Um, you know, the the dog is always out with the sheep. And one example is their bark. <laughs> and they have uh, three different barks that I've identified. My wife thinks they have more. But uh, one of them is an alert bark. And when the sheep are out grazing in the field, for as an example, the, alert, the dog will do this alert bark, and the sheep will just keep grazing. And they don't <laughs> even pay much attention to it. And that's more for me to know that there's something going on in the neighborhood. She just knows there's something going on and we should be watching for. Her. And then she has a warning bark. And when there's a warning bark, the sheep actually will look up and they'll look around to see if there's anything around. And uh, But they still will stay out in the field. But then she has a danger bark. And when she does the danger bark, then she takes off. For our barn, because we want the sheep, we have the sheep come in the barn at night all the time, mm-hmm. and they always have that as a place of protection. And when she does this danger bark, she will take off running for the barn, and the sheep will follow them, and she'll stop by the barn door. The sheep will go in the barn, and then she stays by the barn door wow. until the danger is gone. That's amazing. Golly, have you filmed this episode? This would this would be like wow. Uh, what a what a protector, and she knows exactly what to do. And luckily, yeah, lucky, luckily, the sheep understand this. It's uh, it's for their betterment as well. So she's definitely well, taking care of the sheep. Yeah, yeah. I can give you another example. Um, 
and there was a time period uh, about 20 years ago when one of our dogs died and we needed to find another one and uh, it was a difficult time to find another dog because it was it was before the internet so, so uh, but I'll, just, just to give you another little background is that typically what happens with the, with the animals is during the day when the sheep go out in the pasture in the morning they'll graze and then they'll lay down on the pasture when the dog is out there with them and they know that they're protected so they just are very comfortable staying outside all day and they just come into the barn at night Hmm. now we lost this dog in the spring so we didn't have a dog for the summer and that entire summer uh, the sheep would go out and graze in the morning, and when they were done grazing, they'd go in the barn in the middle of the day to lay down, and then they'd go back out later in the afternoon. We finally found a dog in Kentucky, and we, we uh, found a person who would, um, she was getting rid of her sheep, so she needed to find a place for this dog to go. And she met us in Chicago, so the dog was with was not without sheep for any time at all. She left her sheep in the morning, and she was in our barn that night. And she got to know our sheep a little bit in the barn that night. The next morning, we put her out with the sheep. They went up in the pasture, and the sheep were grazing, and they laid down in the field because they had their protector back. Oh. They, they already uh, became her friend, and she knows they're the protector. They trusted her, right? Wow, that's they amazing. They knew immediately that they had their dog back, right? So we, we've talked about a little about his form in, uh, in Duluth, as well as how he's taken that particular farm, farm to write stories uh, that he had people had observed about his protector dog and uh, how this protector dog is protecting his sheep and, and how that related. So he finally put it uh, to, to print. Uh, how long ago did you did start publishing this book? Well, uh, the current book that I've worked with is a children's book, and it just came out in November. Um, it's a children's picture book, and uh, it's about forty-six pages. So there's there's quite a there's a photograph on each page spread. So there's a lot of stories, and of course they're very condensed from what I'm telling you today about all of these um, different stories that I'm I'm uh, going through but uh, one of the things that I thought about as I was working on this book is that you know children really are going through a difficult time right now yes they are and they you know with this pandemic they can't have birthday parties they can't go and visit their friends they can't go to school um, just listening to the news it can be upsetting if their parents have the news on in their homes and and I just thought that, you know, these stories about the dog protecting the sheep can relate to uh, the biblical aspect of us being protected by God and that that can be comforting to children. So that's the way that I've related that in the book. And, and it's, 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 a great, it's a great story. It gives you a lot of insight about your form, but about this protector dog who is... Who, um, I mean, it's inspiring, and I, I like it that it shows our grandkids and our kids that uh, you know we have nothing to fear because of because of God and being as our protector, and 
and our, our, our parents and others are protecting us. So that fear is all around us, but hopefully you can diminish it, diminish it at, uh, with our kids and grandkids. Is that right? Yes, and I, I've noticed that myself with my own grandchildren because my, my grandchildren live in in the Twin Cities area, which is uh, about three hours from here on the farm, and we have them come up to visit. And, uh, you know, some of these stories and the way that I work with the dog and with the sheep are things that have just uh, worked out well with them also. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you kudos as he you probably everybody didn't hear he him and his wife did the photos right uh, which were yeah. really yeah. nice photos you did an excellent job and some of the captions and, and and some of the presentations are really good and we we got the um, you made some of the sheep of course you made the dog famous but you made some of the sheep famous in the photos and it looked like they they all had a photogenic smile on their face as well. So, uh, well, it takes a lot of photos to. <laughs> well, that's important. <laughs> to come up now that you that tell the story. <laughs> and, hey, we're about the same age. We remember back in the days when we had the cameras that had the film. We had to go get it developed and printed. You know, now we have digital, and it's so quick and easy. We can take four thousand pictures and not have to worry about four thousand rolls of Kodak film at you know forty dollars a roll, whatever it was back then. I, you know, I, I spent a lot of money on slide film. I mean, I can tell you that all the trips we took. And now it's so easy. So the digitizing, everything, technology is going to, you know, from back in the days I had a darkroom, Bert. I used to develop my own film and make my own prints. Tina, when I first got married, we were just, uh, she hated my darkroom at first, but then she started loving it because we started developing all of our pictures and blowing them up. And then, and so it, it was it's fun. Uh, but gone are the days yeah, of all those 30, 35 millimeter fancy camera with all the fancy lenses, and now we have a, you know, we use our iPhone. Just has got more power than my 35 millimeter that I still have. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's just, sad. Just to give you a little, just to give you a little background, I, you know, when when I was I, I started doing photography when I was 16, and uh, we had a dark room downstairs in the basement here in. The, in and out on the farm, my dad helped uh, make a dark room for me. And uh, I was so interested in doing photography that I started doing sports photography at high school games. And I would, on Saturday night, I would develop my negatives. And Sunday, I would develop prints. And I would take those prints on Monday afternoon down to the editor of the local weekly newspaper, and I would sell them black and white photographs, uh, sports photographs, for $5 a print. Awesome. And that was the way that I funded learning how to do photography, because I had to to be able to buy film and paper, and um, that's how I did it. Well, we have a very similar scenario. I did it in high school as well as in college, taking pictures and and it was in and selling them. And uh, I mean, probably didn't as many as sold as you, but uh, people were interested. And, uh, I just, you know, but it became overwhelming. You're right, but yeah, you never want to. I tell our kids, you never want to. You gain that skill, you're still using it. I mean, I'm probably not as good as I was back many years ago, but at least. Uh, it, but I'm impressed that you've included your photography. Your photography and your photos in, in, in now the printed version, and now you're a publisher. Uh, I envy you. I published, of course, everybody knows the magazine with my wife, but 
I've yet to publish my first book, and I'm working on it. I've had more people say, "You got so many stories, Gary. You need to, you need to write so many stories down." I'm working on it. I'm working on one, and hopefully in the near future, I'll get it published before I die. So, um, and uh, it, it, it's 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 great. It's great. So, uh, so let's let's relate a little bit. So that so I want to know how how does your grandkids like the dog? Is, does the dog like people? Does he? Does she like people? Well, it's varied from one to another, but typically the dogs are friendly with uh, one or two people in the family, which is um, mainly my wife and I. Uh, when our son was growing up, the dog was friendly with with him, and typically they're pretty. She's pretty good with the grandkids. Um, Aria will go up to the grandkids when they go into the pasture. Um, it's interesting because the what her typical owner is is to position herself between the sheep and whatever might be on the outside of the fence that she thinks might be dangerous. <laughs> so uh, she will keep herself in between in that situation, but uh, with the grandkids, if they go out in the pasture, sure, they'll, she'll go up to them. And, well, and, that's what I was going to ask. How does she know what friendly. predators are? How does she know? How do, how do, I mean, I'm sure it's an instinct, but how does she know what's a, what's a good guy and a bad guy? Or, yeah, or, 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 or a good it, animal or a bad animal? I mean, yeah, when she sees wolves, she, does she does she know that's a wolf and not a, a different doggy? Yes. Um, I'll, I'll tell you an interesting one about um, one time I was working. My I have a home office that's uh, out on a converted porch on the front of our, our house. And one summer, we also have chickens, and and the chickens are free range most of the time, where they just can go any place they want to go. <laughs> and uh, I was working on on something on my computer, and I heard this terrible ruckus outside of the chickens just squawking and making all kinds of noise. So I, I went out on the deck to see what was going on, and there was a coyote that was chasing a chicken through <laughs> our yard, and the chicken was doing this half-run, half-fly thing that looks kind of funny running towards the fence where the dog was. Uh, because she knew that the chicken knew that the dog was protection. And as the chicken got near the fence, the dog ran up to the fence, and she just puffed herself up, and she let out this bark, and the coyote stopped and turned <laughs> around and turned tail and ran in the other direction without a chicken for lunch. Whoa, that, that dog has a ferocious bark. <laughs> Powerful. She is she is not an attack dog. She does everything that she does by position and bark. Hmm. Okay, that's a good. That's a good. Uh, I would not know that. So she she doesn't go to attack to try to bite him. She tries to intimidate him and scare him. Right. Right. Hmm. So what other predators that 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 uh, uh, the protector dog, Aria? Right, Aria. 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 Yeah, yeah. Aria. Okay, I've got to think of that one. How did she get? How did you get the name? Um, she came with that name. Actually, um, most of these dogs are coming from breeding uh, from people who breed them for either uh, to sell them for breeding or sell them to be working with sheep. And 
sometimes they come with some pretty complicated names. Her name probably had four parts to it, and we just abbreviated to that. Aria. Okay, so Aria, but, right? Uh, Aria? Yeah, Aria, yeah. Aria. And, uh, Aria. Boy, that's a lot. Yeah. Aria. Okay. So, you, and that's the name of his book, Aria the Protector. Uh, by Burton Lane, and it's available on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, and and you can search for uh, the author or or A R Y A the Protector, and uh, to find that as well. So, so uh, I'm again I'm not really astute about farming, and so how does the dog relate to sheep in comparison to lambs, baby lambs? When uh, a, when a ewe has a lamb, she is uh, put into a small pen in the barn for about three days before we put her out in the pasture with the rest of the sheep. And uh, that's just a kind of a bonding thing and to make sure that everything's going okay and that the lamb is, is uh, healthy. And Aria comes in the barn every night. And when she's in the barn, she's off duty. So she's, you know, in an open area that's in between all of the different sheep pens that are inside the barn. And when she comes in, she goes and checks for new lambs all the time during lambing season. And she'll go and check them out every night and just, you know, see what new lambs are around. And then after the three days, then when we put the ewe and her lamb out with the rest of the flock, when we put them out with the flock, there's always a lot of noise because the other ewes come over to see who the new one is that's out in the pasture and the lambs want to see who they get to play with. And there's just, um, you know, really kind of a cacophony of noise. And and Aria will just very calmly go and walk through the whole group to get them calmed down so the new lamb can adjust to the new surroundings. Okay. And um, as as the lambs start to get a little older, she's just very patient with them. She'll lay the, when she's laying down outside. The lambs have to be able to learn how to relate to her. So you know they'll just go up to her and they'll sniff her and they'll paw at her tail and they'll <laughs> and they'll they'll try to get some kind of a reaction out of her. And she just lays there and lets them do it because she knows that they have to get to know her. Oh, I bet that's so touching that uh, she knows they're just like baby kids, right? They're just like kids trying to get to know, getting to know you. So yeah, that's uh, basically uh, what it okay, is. Okay, I wanted to quickly ask uh, before we go to break again. Uh, how how did your grand grandkids like the book? Were there any comments? Did they enjoy it? Yes, I. I well, actually, one of my grandkids is in the book. With yeah, me. I saw that. Um, he's he's the our, uh, we have five grandchildren. He's the middle one, and uh, the story is true uh, that, that uh, he he actually was afraid to sleep upstairs in our two story farmhouse at night, and we had to talk that through. And I went through the story with him, and I was working through that, and. Um, he became more comfortable being able to stay up there oh, after that. So that's a success. And that was part of the evolution of the storybook. So uh, so it has an impact. It just impacted one and just yours. Hopefully it will impact other grandkids that are having that, 
that scared that scared cockpit. But again, I think the storyline, the references to biblical passages, as well as, well as uh, the photos uh, uh, and the stories, you, you're telling a lot of stories in this. And one interesting, I, this is a children's book. Uh, very very little or probably no graphics, uh, you know, in art. So you've decided to do it only with photos and not with uh, not with any kind of artistic drawing or or graphics. Why is that? Well, mainly because I have the photographs available. I I've um, just documented things around the farm here over the years, and I had taken a lot of these photographs before I even thought about doing a book. I just had them available. So then when I got to the point where I decided, well, okay, this is going to be a, a children's storybook um, that has, uh, that's a picture book, then I there were a few more photographs that were needed in order to fill out the story. So then my wife and I started working on getting those photos done. But I would say I had... 75% of the photographs before I even started writing it. Hey, that makes it easy. That definitely makes it easy. That the picture worth a thousand words, which that's what I agree. I mean, sometimes graphics do not relate a thousand words, but definitely a photo. Uh, and of these photos, I, I'm just thinking I can just look at the stare of the dog in the front cover and, and uh, that he's he's saying, why, why are they staring at me? So you're staring at me for what? Uh, but I'm protecting. I'm looking over the sheep as well. I always like telling farm stories. Well, you do. When we go to our national conventions, Bert is a great storyteller. Uh, Gary tells some stories. Uh, and we can both talk to each other to death, as everybody knows knows me locally. I have lots of stories. And, uh, it's hard to say just hello to somebody. Uh, I mean, and that's why I'm sure they told you, Bert. Uh, and that's why you started writing all these down. Why don't you write some of these down? That's what I had somebody this week, this this past Sunday. I was telling him some story. Gary, have you written these down? Yeah. Why don't you publish and let everybody know about them? I said, well, I haven't gone to that level yet, but eventually I will. He says, well, these are fascinating, fascinating. There's stories about my father, my mother, and grandparents, people over in Europe that we dealt with, and some of my trials and tra- travels and trials and tribulations throughout my life. You know, it's like they said, wow. You definitely need to write these down. And left, you know, your kids. I said, that's what I'm writing down for my kids and definitely my grandkids. Uh, the kids, some of the kids, some of my children know about them, but probably forgot. But it's good to have them all written down. Um, so how did you get your, your, how did you start publishing books and why? Well, you might be like me, Gary, where I, you know, I've, I've done magazine stories and I'm kind of a short, um, a writer of short documents. I'm not, so to think about writing a book can be kind of overwhelming. And as a result, uh, being able to take a whole bunch of short documents and put them into a book works for me. Uh, but I wasn't really thinking about doing a book to begin with. I, I, but I wanted to start writing a different style because I've, you know, I've written magazine stories and I've done a number, I've done some educational training writing in the past. I, I wrote some educational books, uh, about 20 years ago and then I didn't do anything after that, uh, along that line. But I wanted to do something that was a little more inspirational. So, I joined a memoir writing group. I just thought, well, maybe this is a way to start uh, learning and getting some consistency to a different type of a writing style. And 
um, you know, that really helped out because we would meet monthly and we would have to have something written monthly and then it provided a feedback mechanism. So um, I, it, it was kind of a motivating force. Well, that's a great idea. I, I uh, attended some classes um, a couple of years ago. Um, they invited me professor there and she's wonderful and she writes for the best of times and she said that and she educates people and writing their own books and she invited me to come to a couple of her classes i found it quite fascinating i just had that the gut feeling to take her whole entire course but uh but she is she's an astute writer and she writes for us and and uh, the the process you're right of memoirs she was asking you know, you're gonna write memoirs about your your family members i said yeah and she said, "Do you have any aspects to writing something nonfiction?" And and we, you know, that's a different scenario, a different genre. And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, there's." No. So she was explaining, like you said, there you learn from these groups and other people there. And and I've had some of her um, her students who have published some really fascinating books and in the area on my show, and they were just and we've all learned from each other. But some of these some of these individuals have moved on to 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 bigger and better places, even from my little neck of the woods here, including writing for Netflix and writing for different movie industries, and this is just the past three or four years. It's been totally, totally pretty awesome. So, uh, so, so you've, you've, you've been to this group, and it's, it's taught you some techniques that I take it. It was an interesting thing, because it was a small group, and we were all older, and uh, everybody had a little different reason for writing. Um, and it, we had some who, uh, well, most most of the people were writing for future generations, for their, their adult children or for their grandchildren to have something that they um, could, could talk about the history. True. And about what their life was like as they were growing up. And, you know, that's so important. We'll talk about it. Finish your thought. I'll, tell, I'll give you some of the indication that, well, this lady likes me, my, locally likes me. Go ahead. Yes. And... Um, the thing that we would do is we would get together and everybody would write something every month and you would come in with one page and you would read it to each other. You would read your page to each other. So we were there probably two, two and a half hours. And then we would get the kind of feedback that we wanted. Some people wanted actually to learn more about writing style and that sort of a thing. So we would give that kind of a feedback. Um, but some people just wanted to know if what they were writing made sense. And, you know, I've, I've written, I, I, well, I, I've talked to some groups, uh, some senior groups about memoir writing since then. And a lot of people say, you know, I'm not much of a writer. I don't think I can do that. But, you know, I guess the way that I describe it is that I, I think that our future generations, like our grandchildren, they want to hear our voice. They do. And... If they can read something that is just the way that we speak, when they read it, they can hear our voice. And we don't have to be doing complicated writing. We don't have to expect that it's going to be perfect. They just want to hear our stories about what we're doing or yeah. what we've done in our lives. Well, I think we discussed that at one of our conferences is uh, for the past five years now, I've been promoting write your stories down before it's too late. And you're in... Um, and I go to visit assisted living, I get senior groups. Uh, for many, I thought we lectured and gave about a 30-minute presentation to probably thousands of people in my area that have already started uh, writing their memoirs. And, and I've had so many 
family members compliment about their grandfather or their great grand their uncle telling some of the stories that it would have been lost. And likewise with my family, I, luckily I got them many years ago to start telling me stories and I wrote them down. I mean, all handwritten, but type. I'm starting to type them up and it's it's amazing that uh, you 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 feel like they're there with you. You're right. They, when you whatever they're writing, they're going to be perfect. I mean, uh, but, but whatever it is, it's something better than nothing. And I'm, I'm I hate to say this, I'm touching a lot of people out and getting them to tell their World War II stories, getting them to tell them how they came to America, how they ended up coming to Louisiana, New Orleans, wherever. And it's, you know, it's like you know why they why did they marry? Come tell us about your engagement how you found your lovely wife and they said you know nobody's ever asked us that <laughs> i said you need to write that down you've got seven kids and 27 grandchildren you haven't told anybody that and they said no so uh i'm glad you're you're promoting that as well as well so thank you bert for joining us today i wish you well on your book uh again it's uh aria the protector by bert lane it's available you can google him burton lane uh, on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's a great children's book. It's going to help your kids and grandkids. I highly recommend it. I found it fascinating. I learned a little bit about protector dogs, but also learned about farming sheep and uh, and how it can help you in getting your kids and grandkids to feel like there is somebody protecting them and watching over them to not to be scared during these pandemic times and other trials and tribulations that we're having throughout the world. So again, congratulations, Burke, and best wishes to you and hope it uh, becomes a big success and it helps thousands of people throughout the area. Well, thank you, Gary, and I look forward to getting together the next time we're able to do that. We'll yeah. tell some stories in person again. That's right. Well, thank you again for joining us today on the Best of Times. Thank you for everyone for listening to our show. 